It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. Welcome to episode four of Left of Field. I'm Danny Kavanagh. Today, I just want to start off by saying a huge thank you to every single one of you who have listened, liked, shared, and supported the podcast so far. It means so much to me. It's a bit of a passion of mine to chat about sport, and I'm really glad that you guys can all come along with me for this journey. Today, in episode four, I'm joined by Michael Booth. He's an elite waterman, a world champion, and an Aussie SUP powerhouse. That's right, stand up paddleboarding. He is the number one ranked paddleboarder in the world at the moment. He's dominating the sport and over the last four years has ranked up multiple championships. It's a different sport and he is a very unique guy. So I hope you guys enjoy this chat. Welcome to Left of Field, Michael, and thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really do want to dive into the world of stand-up paddleboarding, but first I want to find out how you are spending your time in isolation. Hey, Danielle. Well, I'm just basically, I've started a podcast actually as well um, called Boothcast to keep myself busy. Um, I'm also pivoting a little bit with a few different businesses that I have, but also trying to keep fit and healthy and, and sort of stay connected to a lot of different people around the world. Yeah, let's start with Boothcast. How, how is that going for you? It is an interest I probably always had, but never done anything about it because I've always been on the road traveling and competing. And I guess that's my first love. But I remember doing a interview with one of my, I guess, inspirations of ski paddling with Dean Gardner, which you, which you may not know, but he's sort of one of the pioneers in Australian uh, ocean ski paddling. And I did an interview with him and he was just really cool getting get on board, but I never did anything with it because I just really like editing. And, and now with the way that we connect via apps like Zoom and, and all that sort of stuff, it's just really easy to be able to talk to people and, and interviewing people all around the world has been, been really, really cool. And just sharing like the watermen from all different cultures and different backgrounds has been really, I guess, inspiring to me. And you just notice there's so many different stories to be told. That's right. I think podcasts are a great way to kind of dive behind the scenes of someone's life, get to find out a bit more about them, a bit personal, which hopefully we're going to do today. People don't know much about you. You're a professional stand-up paddleboarder. How did you get into that? Yeah, so now I can call myself a professional um, stand-up paddler or a waterman, as I like to phrase it, because I do do other water sports as well. But um, 2014, I was paddling with the Australian uh, Sprint Kayaking Program and we were over in Zegid and, and Moscow for competitions and I got this opportunity through a friend who started up a business in stand-up paddling to sign my first contract to be able to go around and race at different international events in stand-up and kayaking probably wasn't going as strongly for me as I probably wanted it to be and there was just this whole world of opportunities to be able to travel to so many different locations and exotic locations throughout Europe and America and Asia and, and all these different island chains. So. I decided to take up um, stand-up paddling and, and sort of add it to my, my water sports and I was able to be successful at it, which has been a really great journey. What was the first water sport that you got into? Where did, it, where did it begin, this love for the water? Have you always been a strong swimmer in school or as a child? So basically, my story starts um, in Caves Beach, which is a town um, near Newcastle. It's in Lake Macquarie in New South Wales. And uh, I grew up right near that surf club. We were, we were the second house up from the hill and... Well, basically, we started in Nippers. I think I was down there when my brother was 
think he started when he was six. So I would have been down at the surf life when I was three. And I think I joined up um, as soon as I could when I was about five years old and, and did surf life saving the whole way through my juniors. I did swimming, um, cross country, surfing, uh, you name it in the water, I was I was doing it. And then um, when I was about 18, I moved to the Gold Coast, did the, did the Ironman thing and then got involved in in surf ski paddling as a byproduct of that and then in kayaking as a byproduct of that and then stand up paddling as a as another byproduct of all those different sports that I've done so it's been something that I've been super passionate about my whole life and uh, I just love spending time on the water in the water and there's just an amazing community of paddlers out there that I'm able to share my passions with. Do you think you were yeah. always meant to end up on a sub? How are you going with it now? I don't know if I was always meant to go on a sub. I think I've always chased opportunities as they presented themselves and I've never shied away from a challenge. So it was just something that I looked at and I was like, maybe I could be good at that. I actually watched a, um, a documentary uh, on Kai Lenny one time and it was, it was called Positively Kai and he was racing this stand-up paddleboard at a World Series event and I'm not sure where it was. And I guess in my own confidence or arrogance or however you want to look at it, I was like, I feel like I could race that guy. I feel like I could beat him. And Basically, not too, not too far after that, I picked up one of those and, and started to, to have a go at it. And yeah, it was cool to be able to tell that story to, to Kai a couple of years ago in London with his family and sort of say that he got me into the sport. And I guess that's a, that's a pretty cool um, thing to be able to be racing against one of your competitors and then eventually be able to beat them. But um, now I'm a four-time world champion in, in stand-up paddling. I'm a three-time Australian champion and I have won three European tour titles. So it's just been a, a pretty of a whirlwind over the past five years, but it has been a, a really good one and a really rewarding one for me. Over five years, it's pretty quick to go from a beginner to the sports number one. How does it feel seeing your name at number one now in the world? I think it's pretty cool because I've been able to set myself a goal and be able to achieve it. Also, it's not just I was an overnight success. I guess I had done a lot of work um, in training and in ocean sports for I guess 25 years now and being able to transfer those skills over and just putting hard work and dedication into achieving goals is definitely very rewarding and I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Along the journey, what has been the most memorable win for you? Well, probably not at the time, but now looking back at it, probably that my 2016 ISA, um, they call it marathon, which is like an 18 kilometre distance race win. I raced the weekend before at a, I think it was like a Red Bull, I don't know, something event on the Gold Coast. And I flew over on the Tuesday, raced the Wednesday, won the world title, flew back on the, the Friday I think, or the Thursday and went to flew to actually to Perth and did another race because I was obviously trying to make a little bit of money and there wasn't any money in winning that world title. And uh, But now looking back at it, it was probably one of my best victories because it was so hard. It, it was hot, nearly dehydrated myself completely. It took me four hours to do a drug test after the race. I smashed myself in that, that final section. Guys were catching boat wakes up to me and, and I still got that victory. And uh, it was still, it was probably one of my biggest my wins of my career, but I probably didn't appreciate it at the time. But, but now looking back and understanding what a world title means, it's, yeah, it's, it's a really special moment in my career. You talk about pushing yourself to the absolute brink of, exhaustion almost have you always been that mentally dedicated yeah definitely I, I probably like to say that I wasn't the most talented athlete growing up in surf life saving and in different sports I did I probably wasn't the one who picked it up straight away but I was always the one to break down things and analyze it and work out how I get better what my weaknesses are and, and how I achieve those goals and now being able to do that at I guess from 25 to 29 and, and see that 
those years of hard work pay off has been a really, I guess, fulfilling thing in my life. I feel like that would be something hard to kind of translate to people because obviously looking at your videos, your Instagram, the life that you portray, it seems pretty cool. You do get to travel the world and spend your time on the water and beaches. But what are some of the sacrifices you have made along the way? It is quite interesting hearing that, and I do hear it a lot. It looks like exotic. I'm traveling to like, looks all these like amazing every, Obviously, you're working and, very hard, but it looks like you're living the dream life. I must say, I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah, well, it is the dream life, but I guess it was set up to be that way. Like, it didn't just all come, and so I always like to say that, that lucky people are, are built from a, a lot of hard work and determination. And for me, it was always about I wanted to do that. Like, I remember at school when I was, like, 18, I was always want to be able to, to travel the world to do what I love doing and to be able to make a living out of it and to be able to do that now it's sort of a, a whole nother goal I guess outside of sport that I was trying to achieve in the first place but when you make talking about sacrifices I guess it's sacrificing friendship groups it's, it's sacrificing spending time with my family and friends and moving to where I needed to be obviously traveling so much you don't get to spend much time with your friends and family that you probably would, would rather be like spending time with uh, when you're on the road, it's not just about seeing all these amazing locations. It's working out logistics. I've got a, I'm basically a logistics company. I've, me and Chrissy are lucky enough to go around together, my partner, but we're constantly um, organizing where the boards are going, or organizing, meeting up with dealers and shops, organizing flights, accommodation, car hire, making sure that I've, I pay for my entries. I, I've worked out clinics and dates when I'm, I'm at the events. And then you've got obviously the training that I have to do like the two or three months before I go away that I have to train for and then being able to train when I'm on the road. So I need to make sure that my boards are there. And then you've got to have that good balance where you do want to be able to see nice places in between those races. And you've got to have that holistic approach so you can be successful, but enjoy the experience at the same time. And, and that's something that I've worked very, very hard on. And when I get to the end of the year, I'm usually like, I don't want to do this anymore. It was too hard. I've had enough, but a month or so off, you're like, okay, I'm ready to go again. So yeah, it's just about finding that good balance, but there is a lot of sacrifices that go with it. You talk about balance and the preparation seems pretty intense. How do you prepare for a major event? My events usually start actually next weekend with the Carolina Cup, which is probably one of the major distance races in uh, North Carolina in the US. Basically, I start training maybe three months or four. I do a, a month where I'm sort of just mixing up training, just doing uh, whatever I feel like at the time, just making sure that my body's getting prepared. That uh, first month of where I'm actually training really hard and I'll be doing, I guess, close to 15 sessions a week. So I'll do paddle in the morning, uh, a gym or a run session at, at lunchtime and then another paddle in the afternoon. But I'll mix that up between sup and surf ski. And then there'll be the uh, racing practice on the weekends. There'll be skills training. There'll be uh, particular things I'm trying to focus on. But then when I get home from training, I can't just stop there. I've actually got to be organizing. I don't have. A, I don't really have a team. You see, my work together. We don't really have like a team organizing my logistics. If I don't organize my board to be there, it's not going to be there. If I don't organize my accommodation, I can't go there. So I have to work on that. But then also in the background, I have a, a paddle business that I work with in conjunction with people in South Africa called Gara Paddles and then I have a, an online training business where I work with clients all around the world where I'm coaching them to achieve their goals in, in paddle sports and in just home and life life goals that they want to achieve and then now I've got this this podcast constantly working on um, my business and I guess my business is in part sport but in part getting income for be able to do what I'm doing. You talk about having a lot of strings to your bow what's the support like for professional watermen out there? So at the moment 
most of my sponsors are industry supported sponsors. So like most of my income comes from that. And then obviously bonus structures and prize money and clinics and that sort of stuff. But then there's also financial services are one of my major sponsors as well, which have been supporting me through the past few years. They actually support the rugby league team called the Manly Seagulls, if you know those. So they, they're mm -hmm. sort of um, in a few different spots in the Australian sporting industry. And we're lucky to have those guys. There's definitely enough income for me to be able to do it and my partner and I have to live off it. But obviously at a time like this, it is a bit more difficult and we've had to, to pivot quite quickly to maintain my income and, and maintain sort of some support. I've been able to, to work hard, make sacrifices, live off nothing for a long time. And then now I'm lucky enough to be able to make a living from it. Yeah, we are in the middle of a pandemic and it is a bizarre time. Are you still training? As I'm still training. But not intensely, no, I'm only just doing things that I wake up in the morning. So yesterday, I don't usually paddle an outrigger canoe, but I went and did a 10K time trial on an outrigger 6K run, which is not what I main, my main focus is. My main focus is normally stand up paddle boarding or, or surf ski paddling. I've actually been coaching a few people over here at the moment, one on one to help through their training and their skills because I have that little bit more time at the moment to be able to give back a little bit to the community. Yeah, you have your own coaching business. What made you get into that? Uh, something that I've always liked to do. I, I know that I've always been someone who's been quite technical. And as I mentioned before, I, I like to analyze things and break them down and, and trying to help people achieve their goals. So it was sort of just an extension of myself. People kept asking me, oh, can you can you write this program for this event? Can, can you help me pair for this upcoming time trial I have? Or just like people just approaching me like because of my experience, I guess, being able to train myself to achieve these world titles and, and those different achievements I've been able to get. People have just seen that as, as something that maybe I could, could further my knowledge onto them. And that's just sort of gradually just blossomed as it's gone along. And now it's, it's become a business where I do coach people all around the place. It's been a, yeah, it's been a cool journey. Has it been something that you've kind of, you know, once your career wraps up yourself competing, it's something you would full time get into? Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, I have one-on-one -on -one coaching, so personalized training plans. I also have group training plans. been doing a little bit of different stroke technique and videos on my um, booth training Facebook page and website. It's definitely something that I'd like to set myself into. Like I haven't really taken it too seriously at the moment, but it has gradually involved, I guess, when you're winning races and you're getting that exposure from competing, people are looking at you going, oh, what's he doing differently to everybody else? And I basically just give people the same programs to what I write for myself and they're achieving success as well. And it sort of just all starts to snowball and, and gains traction. And I haven't really focused on it too much, but at the moment with a little bit more downtime, I'm definitely um, spending a little bit more time on it. And you also have your own paddle. So the Thor blade, is that correct? Back in 2018, um, a friend of mine from South Africa came and approached me and asked me if I wanted to, to make some paddles with them and, and they had a business a long-standing relationship called garrow paddles and i was like yeah sure I, I didn't know i wanted to do this but i'm always as i said before i'm always wanting to take an opportunity and i gradually just worked on it and designed a blade that i really liked and we've been working on that for a couple of years now and it's been a really successful paddle because i've been able to to win a lot of races with it and it's been a really cool journey i've learned a lot and i think i'm really interested in that entrepreneurial business sense of different things and i know you you learn a lot along the way. So you use the actual blade yourself, the paddle? Yeah, so I've been using that for two years now. Which I think says a lot. I think a lot of people put out products that they don't probably use themselves. Where did the name Thor come from? Basically all their um, paddles were based around the Greek gods originally. Mm -hmm. 
Thor was a nickname I had as a kid. Where did uh, that was, like, come basic, from? I don't know. I think because I was always like quite a, a ripped, fit young kid and I had long blonde hair and I think that just basically <laughs> gave me that nickname. It was either Thor or Bam Bam. So <laughs> I just ran with that one because it seemed to be the, the one that related the most to me. You're now regarded as a sup powerhouse and you have a long career ahead of you. When was the first moment that you were able to kind of sit back and go, wow, like maybe I've actually made it in this sport? Really this year when I started to go back to back with titles and actually be able to defend um, events and be able to extend different victories and be able to adapt when obviously my competitors are getting better. My competitors are learning from me. I'm, I've been able to change the way I approach my training, change the way I approach my tactics and be able to actually continue those victories, even though people are watching me trying to learn from me, but then I'm changing my tactics so they can't beat me in the same way that they might've been able to in a different race. So I think that's something that I've prided myself on over the past few years and gaining four world titles now has, has been something that like, even when I probably shouldn't have won or things weren't really going in my way or I hadn't prepared properly, being able to just compete when it counts and get to that finish line when it, when it actually matters is, is something that I've been able to pride myself on. So this year was a really good year for that. And I hold my head really high with um, the 2019 season. You had a few sprint finishes. What pushes you mentally when you're in one of those competitions? Probably the best one to speak about in the most recent one was probably the 2019 ICF World Championships in Hainan in China last year. I didn't have the best preparation. I actually went and lost the Australian titles in uh, Melbourne the week before. We were, I sort of just like, had, been, had a really good season. I'd probably won or six or seven races. I'd, I'd won my, I won a Euro Tour again. I was leading the, the ATP World Tour. I was doing really well. And it gets to a point where you feel like you can't prove yourself anymore. Like the only time that you go to a race, you feel like you've got something to lose instead of going there to prove yourself. You just like, I've, I can't really get any better than what I've done. So you get in a really weird headspace and I went there and I probably wasn't um, into Melbourne. I wasn't training. I wasn't focusing on the event. I was just like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. And a uh, young fella, um, Todd Ty Judson, actually got the victories and an 18-year-old fantastic paddler and an even better guy. And I was like, oh, I don't really care about this. It doesn't matter. Like, whatever. Like, it's just another race. I went home and started to think about it. And I'm a very competitive by nature and I, I really don't like missing opportunities. And I feel like I didn't put myself in the best opportunity to do well in that race. And I didn't give myself the best chance to perform. When I went to China that next week, I knew that even though that I didn't have the best preparation because it was only a week later, I knew that I would give everything that I could to win that race. When we were paddling around, it was a three lap, 18 kilometer race in China. I knew on the, the first lap someone made a mistake and I helped break away with two of the Scorpio brothers from Hungary. And we paddled basically the whole race together. And I knew that, they were probably paddling stronger than me, but I just waited, waited, and waited. I noticed one of the, the guys was, I split them because they were brothers, so I had to make sure that I was in between them. And then when I hit the final turning can, I, I could tell that every time that Bruno, the guy eventually got second, was turning that can, he was making a mistake or he was turning wide. So I just did a quick 180 degree turn really quickly, got away very fast and was able to hold that gap for that next 10 minutes of that race and held my form didn't mess up I just pushed myself to the end and I think those victories where everything's probably not going your way and, and, you, and you probably don't think you should win but you just give everything you can you do your best and you finish and you win that race 
that's something that's the feeling that I want every time I don't like to lose and I'm always trying to achieve that perfect race and it all it comes in very different forms who inspires you who pushes this dedication on you in the sport and keeps you going Oh, I, I guess if I talk about motivation, I draw it from different areas. So it can be an internal motivator where I'm, I want to be able to prove myself. Uh, you see something on social media and I'm one of those weird people who gets, sees someone who like writes you off and gets all revved up by it and, and gets, gets out of bed every morning, goes training and proves them wrong. But if somebody was to inspire me, I, I guess I am inspired by so many different people from kayakers to, to Ironman to sup paddlers. And they're all for different reasons. I guess I'm just inspired by successful people in general, like whether that's in business or sport or life. I probably couldn't name um, anyone in particular, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I draw different things from different areas and there's so much to learn from so many different people out there. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned that you get a few comments. Do you get comments on Facebook trying to bring you down? Do people do that in the sport? Yeah, absolutely. That happens all the time. Like, uh, you'll you'll get an accolade or whatever. Someone will, will write something and say, no, he doesn't deserve that or he's yeah. not good enough. Or Yeah, that absolutely happens. And I think that happens in any area of life and in any sport, business or anything like that. I live by this rule. 10% of people aren't going to like me, aren't going to like what I do and aren't going to support me. And that's okay because there's 90% of the people out there who are respectful, who do get kicks out of me doing well and they're the people I focus on, but I also need the haters as well because that motivates me. So it's uh, it's one of those uh, yin-yang situations. You need both. Yeah, the double-edged sword. I mean, as long as you're, like you mentioned, your partner and your friends and the family and the people that are closest to you are proud of you, it doesn't really matter, I guess, what the haters out there have to say. You mentioned your partner quite a bit and how you guys are lucky enough to actually get to travel around together. Where are some of your favourite places? Well, we, we have a bit of a... a affection to, to France. We, I really do love the south of France. I love the the western side of France, like Hossega and Baritz. I really, really enjoy going to Chamonix at the end of last year. I actually like going to the cities, like to London and New York, and I went to Paris at the end of the year as well. So there's there's like so many different locations. I know we'd like to get back to the Maldives. We went on a really cool cruise there a few years ago, which was awesome outside of racing. But yeah, we've been to Fiji. We've been to America, we've driven, we've actually driven from San Diego all the way up to Vancouver, doing different events and clinics. And yeah, I, I just love to travel. I love to see new things. And um, I hope to get be able to get back out there and do that sooner rather than later. Have you picked up any French? Do you know what? I, I, I tried to learn it on that Duolingo app. And at oh, the yeah. moment, one of my sponsors, Starboard, actually just emailed me this morning, was like, can you send us a 30 second video of speaking in French <laughs> out to the French people and the French distributors because France is one of the France is one of the hardest places that's been hit by this whole COVID-19 crisis. I can understand a lot and when I'm over there I can sort of order a baguette or order something like that or understand what they're saying to me when they want me to get out of the restaurant or something but it's it's a really cool language and I'd love to be able to to learn more. Yeah, can you order a baguette for us now? How does it sound? No, I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> I can't do that. 
Oh, come on. You want to practice a bit more Duolingo? I, I hate the owl on Duolingo. I, I speak Italian and try and keep it up even with Duolingo. And then you don't do it for a few days, the owl gets angry at you. And I feel all the it, pressure. <laughs> it does. I actually bought the app and I was like, yep, definitely going to learn. Definitely going to learn. And I did it for about six weeks. And then I went over to Paris and I just I stopped doing it and I haven't done it since. So but I should learn Italian as well. You mentioned I am technically yeah. half Italian. And my nonna would be very disappointed that I'm not learning Italian. I'm learning French. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I kept my family very happy studied Italian uni even so I'm I can speak it quite well so I've kind of ticked that family box but I don't get to speak it enough so I really wanted to go back this year but sadly I don't think that's gonna happen I mean right now everyone's kind of reassessing you've picked up a few new hobbies added a few strings to your bow during this time what else are you doing besides you know when you're not focusing on the sport I think I'm someone who's just determined and someone who's very hardworking, wants to achieve different things and always looking to do my best given any, any situation. I know this crisis is obviously hard for a lot of people and, and it is hard for me too because a lot of things in my life has changed. But I guess you've got to see the opportunities in any situation and be able to pivot and change no matter what. Um, situation is given to you and there's always I guess I live that glass half full kind of lifestyle and I know some things just I can't control and it's all about controlling the controllables and I just really try and focus on that when I'm in any situation and trying to deal with things. Try and look at the positive in every situation I think you'll live a better life on that note there's a motto you live your life by. Well the quote that I'm really liking at the moment is that we rise to the occasion we fall to our highest level of preparation and that's something I really live by. On that preparation what's the goal you're preparing for then? I think just trying to be the best that I can be in any of the things that I'm in so at the at the moment I'm starting the podcast I'm trying to be the best podcast host I can get I'm trying to get on very influential people and trying to spread the word of paddling community whether that's in SUP or ocean ski or foiling or anything like that with obviously my business interests I've got a new project coming up that I'm working on with one of my sponsors and I've been doing a lot of obviously the training stuff has been getting bigger and I've been trying to work hard on helping as many people as I can and I think it all comes down to as I said just then like just trying to help people get better at what they want to do as well and I think the best way for you to learn as a person is to actually help others and that's something that I've prided myself on and I really do want to see more people out there in the water enjoying something that I've been able to enjoy for the past 30 years and I think it's perfect time for everyone to get out on the water it is somewhere where you can kind of be by yourself do you ever out there in the water paddling and look out and really find the beauty in life do you know what I haven't really done that before now I know like when I've been an athlete and when I've been focusing on the job or focusing on that short-term goal that long-term goal trying to achieve that result or try and be better than somebody else or trying to, to achieve something that's insurmountable I haven't done it but do you know what in this COVID-19 crisis when everything was sort of taken away from me I sort of took a step back took it really hard for a week and sat back and realized that how much I enjoy sport and I enjoy paddling on the water and I enjoy that health and fitness element to it because I never saw it as something that was part of my mental well-being and my I guess part of like keeping looking after my soul essentially because with all these things that have been happening I, I haven't really been able to appreciate it before but now when I go out in the water it's just amazing it just narrows my focus it makes me really appreciate things in life and yeah it's just an amazing experience and, and I recommend it to anybody out there listening like if you can get out in the water you can grab a, 
a sea kayak or a sup or anything like that, you'll be surprised how important it is. And something that I've learned from doing the podcast and speaking to so many different people has been that they've had the same experience and speaking to like a lot of people who work nine to five and then they get out in the mornings and they go for their paddle. They really appreciate, uh, it's like kind of like people's yoga um, or it's their, their psychologist. They get out there and they get on the water and it just makes it, all their problems almost go away and they get to narrow their focus, be positive. Those endorphins get released and you just have a new approach on life. That's it, whether it's a dip in the ocean or a, a yoga, even on a paddleboard. I've seen a few people do that. <laughs> Taking that That's time it. out to really focus on yourself is perfect at this time. And I'm glad that it's kind of made you appreciate your sport a bit more. Yeah, it really has. And I've been, yeah, very lucky almost in a way that this has happened because I've actually been able to have that. I was getting to the point where I was like, I've got nothing else to prove. I don't really, I don't know if I want to keep traveling and racing so much, but now it's sort of when it gets taken away from you, you don't have that choice. It's like, okay, maybe I do want to do this for a little bit longer. Maybe I do want to do this more. And maybe there's a lot more things that I want to achieve. And this whole crisis has definitely made me realize that. Well, I'm glad it's been a nice little reset and hopefully you can bring home a fifth world championship once this is all over. Thank you for chatting to me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks for having me on. And that's a wrap on episode four. Thank you so much for listening. Get on the socials and let me know what you think. That's left a field. And while you're there, why not give Michael Booth a follow? His Instagram is pretty epic. There's some pictures of some exotic locations around the world. So that could be a little bit of inspiration for you when you can get back to traveling. Tune in next week when I chat to West Coast Eagles AFLW superstar. Adios.